Amen. I want to talk to you on a subject tonight uh, I'll title uh, Understanding Healing. There are uh, a number of people throughout the years that have come uh, to me and uh, I'm sure to any minister that uh, preaches healing and lays hands on the sick and ministers to the sick and so forth um, where they say, Pastor, I prayed and prayed and prayed and uh, I've been ministered to many times and uh, had numerous people lay hands on me and I'm not healed. Can you help me? Well, there are uh, some things that we need to address uh, regarding this, and this is healing school, so we have uh, an opportunity to uh, take our time and, and deal with some issues that uh, um, might not otherwise be covered. One of the things that I noticed uh, in my time with Brother Hagen, working with Brother Hagen, is that he ministered a lot differently in healing school than he did in crusades. The job that I had um, uh, required me, that's kind of a tough way to say it, I was glad to do it, one of my favorite things, but it required me to travel with him on the road. And uh, we'd go into cities and uh, uh, hold meetings anywhere from uh, usually three days up to a week in um, sometimes large meetings, sometimes smaller venues, uh, just depending on the town and the, the uh, audience that we expected or that they expected to, to attend. And, uh, and, in, uh, and in Crusades, Brother Hagen would always follow the same pattern. He would um, tell his testimony, how Jesus appeared to him, laid the finger of his right hand in the palms of each one of his hands and told him that he's given him a special healing anointing to the sick. Now, the reason that he did that is because Jesus said, tell the people that I appeared to you. Tell them that you saw me. He said, if they will believe that I laid the finger of my hand, of my, my right finger, forefinger in the palms of your hands, if they'll believe that I've anointed you with a special anointing to minister to the sick, then that will trigger that anointing to work and they'll be healed, they'll receive. Well, as a result, Brother Hagen would always give his testimony. He'd start off some different places and kind of work around to it in different ways, but it always came down to the same thing, and that was that he would share that testimony, and as a result, in, uh, uh, in the Crusades, would have some tremendous healing results. But rarely, if ever, I think maybe one time in the years of, uh, that I went, uh, worked with him and, and um, my acquaintance with him through healing school, I think maybe one time I heard him tell his testimony, and that was for a different purpose rather than to lay hands on the sick. He was just kind of sharing some uh, kind of a side note to um, bolster another point that he was making and teaching on. And it, it always struck me odd. And so I asked him about that one day. I said, Brother Hagen, why is it that you operate differently in, in uh, crusades when you're going to minister to the sick than you do in healing school. Now, in healing school, he wouldn't lay hands on the sick every day. Usually, he'd lay hands on the sick one day a week, and that was normally Friday if he was going to be there. And in healing school, he had a lot of time to develop different thoughts and teachings and a lot of the, in my opinion, the best series that, uh, uh, that the Kenneth Hagin Ministries provides of uh, Brother Hagin's teaching came out of healing school. There was, uh, there was one series that he taught Monday through Friday for eight weeks. Well, that's 40 messages. And it was, uh, that's kind of hard to put in a series. They had to break it up into several different ones. But, I mean, he just turned over every rock and looked under every chip. It was just really, really anointed. And, uh, and so he'd, he'd take his time and he'd deal with people in, uh, in healing school a whole lot differently than he would in crusades. So I asked him about that. And he said, well, he said, in crusades we're dealing with primarily the unsaved, or denominational people. He said healing school is different. 
He said, very seldom is it the unsaved that come to healing school or denominational people that come to healing school. So he said, we're dealing more or less with believers, people that are acquainted with the fact that healing belongs to us and was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Now, anytime you get to a, a situation that I get to a situation, having learned from him as much as I could, I wish I knew more. But uh, having learned from Brother Hagin, anytime I have somebody that comes to me that says, I prayed and prayed and prayed and I don't get any results and, and so forth. And you know as well as I do that there are times where people, there are some people that get instant results and there are other people that have to stand for much longer periods of time. And sometimes the most devout people in the, in the body of Christ, the most devout people in church are the ones that, that have to stand for their healing over a longer period of time than somebody that might be new or somebody that might not be as, uh, um, well, how do we want to say it? Is committed to the Lord maybe? Is that a fair statement? Sometimes they get quicker results, sometimes instant results, more so than the ones that we look at and we think, well, my goodness, look at the the good life that they're living and how they walk in the Word, surely they would get healing quicker than the others. Well, these are questions that we need to consider. Now, the issue is something that we need to be honest about. And I think a lot of people are just, um, in my opinion, it seems like a lot of people just try to gloss over the, um, the subject rather than really deal with it in an honest way. And that is this. If you've got two people and get, that get different results in the church, you get two people that get different results uh, regarding their healing, whether it be time or whether it be the uh, uh, instant miracle versus delayed or over a period of time, progressive type thing, or whatever the case might be, we're going to have to address either uh, the, the two possibilities, one being that either God is a respecter of persons and he deals differently with people, one from another, or that there's a lack of understanding about healing in the body of Christ. See, I've found... I learned this from Brother Hagin, but I've certainly proved it out in, in our church over the years. I've found that the more you can get people to understand healing and how healing works, not just in the individual, but how healing works in Bible, from the Bible examples, then you can get greater results. See, for example, there are many times I'm uh, remembering a lady that came just, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe six months ago. She came to healing school and... and uh, after the service, she came up after, uh, to talk to me, and she said, well, Pastor Mike, she said, I want you to agree with me for my healing. Or, or um, she didn't use the word agree, but she said, I want you to pray for me for my healing. And I said, well, what is it that you're believing for? And so she told me what the situation was, and I said, well, what scriptures are you standing on? Because, see, when somebody wants me to pray for their healing, that means one of two things. That means either, number one, they want me to have faith for them to receive, or number two, they want me to agree with them in faith for them to receive. I know without one of those two in place, nobody's getting anything. Now, I don't know that everybody that comes up for prayer knows that, but I know that. So I always ask, so what scriptures are you standing on to receive your healing? And she started telling me a story of when she was a young girl about how that when she was six or seven years old that uh, some disease, I think it was tuberculosis, came upon her and, and there was an epidemic in her town and she contracted it. And God miraculously healed her. Well, what happens in cases like that, and it's early in her case, is that many times when people, as young, either young Christians, in her case, young chronologically, they get a, 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 the mercy of God poured out upon them for instant or quick results 
then that's the way they think it's going to work from there on. Another thing that happens is that there's much made of laying on of hands and anointing with oil and and, uh, uh, and so forth, maybe anointing uh, cloths and such that uh, uh, that people are, are looking for to be the, the answer for them. They want to receive their healing in that way because they've heard stories of, about how God uses these things and, and so forth. And, uh, and so they think that if I can get so-and-so to pray for me or lay hands on me or anoint me with, with oil or if I can get a cloth from such-and-such such minister, then I'll receive my healing. But folks, you need to understand something. All those are just methods. There is no intrinsic or inherent value or power in laying on of hands in itself. There is no inherent power in anointing with oil. There is no inherent power with, uh, pray, with prayer cloths. There is no more inherent power in those things. Those are just points of contact for a person to release their faith to receive. There is no more inherent contact in those than a prayer itself brings salvation. You know that somebody could say the words of the prayer of salvation and not have any basis or foundation or, or belief in their heart exercised and that's not going to bring them into the kingdom of God. It's believing in the heart and speaking, saying with the mouth, confessing with the mouth. Well, in the same way, a lot of times people are looking to the methods to do the work. But the methods won't heal you. The methods won't heal you. There has to be something behind it. Conversely, or in like manner, a lot of times people know of ministries that are used in gifts of healings or manifestations of the Spirit as defined and described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so they think that all healing works that way. They're looking for, maybe they've seen it on TV, maybe they've seen the, uh, a certain person that's used by God in that manner where gifts of healings are concerned. And so they're looking for some special manifestation of the Spirit to bring their healing. One of the things that interested me was when Brother Hagin uh, looked over his ministry later in his life. He looked back over his ministry and, and came to the realization of something that he hadn't really, had really paid a lot of attention to before. But he said, of all the times that the Lord has uh, manifested himself, the Holy Ghost has manifested himself through him, through his ministry, in gifts of healings or some supernatural power uh, along those lines, along the healing ministry lines, he said that with, for, without any exception that he could remember, those were all either for the unsaved or for denominational church people that didn't know anything about healing. He said, I don't remember one time where there was a manifestation of the Spirit that ever healed any full gospel church member. Now, why is that? Because full gospel church members have been preached to and taught to some degree, varying degrees, I'm sure, but to some degree that healing was part of what was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Now, Many times people think, turn with me over to Mark chapter 6. I want you to look at three openings of Scripture. Mark 6, Matthew 13, and Luke 4. Mark 6, Matthew 13, and Luke 4. We'll start in Mark. This is Matthew, Mark's, and Luke's account of the same event, the same point in time, the same occurrence, where Jesus goes to his own hometown, the town that he was brought up in Nazareth. Now, much of the church world, I would venture to say most of the church world, at least most that I'm familiar with, has the idea that Jesus healed to prove his deity. Jesus healed the sick to prove that he was the son of God. Now, let's start reading in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It said, he went out from thence and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. 
And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach on the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought or done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended. Now the Catholics think that Mary, the only child that Mary had was Jesus. The Bible says otherwise. Jesus had a bunch of half-brothers and sisters. Nevertheless, it said, but Jesus said unto them, now here's the crowd that are offended at Jesus because of his family. Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. And among his own kin and in his own house. Now notice with me verse 5. And he could there. Everybody say the word could. Notice it does not say and he would there do no mighty work. It says and he could there do no mighty work. Could has to do with ability. Would has to do with will. It says he could there. In other words he was unable there to do any mighty work. He didn't have any signs and wonders and miracles. He didn't have any blind eyes open. He didn't have any lepers cleansed. He didn't have any cripples healed. And he could there do no mighty work, save or accept. He laid his hands upon a few sick folks. The Amplified Bible says sickly folks. Vine's Expository Dictionary, New Testament words says folks with minor ailments. He laid his hands on a few folks with not too much wrong with them, in other words, and healed them. Verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went round about the cities and villages teaching. Now, I want you to, to realize something. If Jesus healed the sick, performed signs and wonders, healing signs and healing wonders in his ministry to prove that he was deity. He did not prove that he was the son of God in Nazareth. Therefore, you'd have to conclude if God's will was for him to prove that he was the son of God through healing works and healing miracles, Jesus didn't get the job done. I don't know anybody in the body of Christ that would claim that, that Jesus was ineffective in his job. Do you? See, most of the folks in my experience that teach that Jesus healed to prove his deity are the sovereignty of God folks that say God's will is paramount and God's will is going to be done no matter what. Well, if that's the case, God's will wasn't carried out in this city. Now, I want you to look with me over to Matthew 13. I want you to see Matthew's account. We won't read through the whole thing, but we'll pick out some verses, key verses. Well, I do want to read the whole thing. Let's start in verse 53. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he was coming into his own country, same thing that Mark said, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence has this man these wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence has this man these things, all these things? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save or except in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. Now, Matthew uses a little, little different language, but notice the principle is the same. He was hindered in his miracle working power because of their unbelief. Now, as I said, most of the church world believes that Jesus healed to prove his deity. Jesus did not heal on the earth to prove he was the son of God, or he did not heal on the earth even as the son of God. Notice Jesus says what uh, what manner 
or what ministry office he's standing in when he's in Nazareth. He says in both accounts, both Mark's and um, Matthew's, and he'll say the same thing in Luke, Luke chapter 4. He said a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. In other words, a prophet is honored everywhere except at home. So what's he saying about himself? He says, I'm operating here as a prophet. I'm operating here as a prophet. Now, the Bible says Jesus could there do no mighty works. In Nazareth, he could there do no mighty works. Save he lays his hands upon a few sick folks. The fact that he laid his hands upon a few folks with minor ailments indicates that he wants to heal the sick in that town. Doesn't it? I mean, he's getting everybody healed that he can. But he's hindered from ministering healing because everybody in town wants him to do things the way that they've heard about it being done in other towns. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. I'm going to have to read some of this. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. All three identified as his own country where he's been raised. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. They're not unaccustomed to seeing him in the synagogue, in the synagogue standing up and reading the Old Testament scrolls. And when there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. That just tells us in the other accounts that he taught in their synagogues. Luke tells us what he taught. He taught from Isaiah what we know of as Isaiah 61, first part of the chapter, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, folks, verse 21 is the key to the whole thing. Because verse 21 tells us what he did to relate the scriptures in Isaiah to their present time, the day that he was there. He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, that's New Testament English for saying, these scriptures are talking about me. Now, if they're talking about him, what is it saying about him? That the Spirit of the Lord is upon him and has anointed him. Well, if you'll look through the things he's anointed to do, part of them are healing miracles. He's saying, today, I'm anointed by the Holy Ghost to do healing works. Now, remember we read before where he said a prophet is not without honor saving in his own country. He's going to say the same thing a few verses down the, down the list or down the way here in this uh, um, account as well. So what do we know about Jesus? We know that Jesus in his own hometown of Nazareth, and we would have to assume it's the same everywhere else he goes. It, there's no indication or nothing that would cause us to believe that it's different here than it would be anywhere else. Therefore, we would have to understand that the primary way that Jesus ministered healing was as a prophet anointed by God. Notice it says in a couple of accounts that Jesus taught in their synagogues. Here it tells us what they taught, what he taught. So the prophet's ministry includes teaching. And really the New Testament, uh, the four gospels, tells us more about Jesus' teaching ministry than it does anything else. 
Well, where did he teach from? What position or ministry office did he teach from? From the office of the prophet. He's a prophet anointed by God. He's not ministering healing as the son of God. He's ministering healing as a prophet anointed of God. Now, what's a prophet? A prophet's one that speaks for God. The prophet's office is not intended to draw attention to itself, but intended, uh, intended to draw attention to the words that God is speaking to his people through him, him being the prophet. So the emphasis is on two things, the word of God and the anointing. So Jesus says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they all bear him witness and wondered at his gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And Jesus said, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. Now, folks, this gives you a big clue to what's going on and what the attitude of the people is. He's saying, we've heard of your healing miracles in Capernaum. Do them here. How did he do healing miracles in Capernaum? As a prophet anointed by God. Same way that he's anointed to do them here in this case in the town of Nazareth. Same anointing, different results. Now I want you to see the thing that makes the difference in the results he gets in Capernaum as opposed to the results that he gets in Nazareth has nothing to do with him being in the office of the prophet. It has nothing to do with the anointing that's upon him. What does it have to do with? It has everything to do with the attitude of the people toward him and what he's saying. More specifically, it has everything to do with their attitude of unbelief in Nazareth as opposed to Capernaum's faith. So what are they looking for? They're looking for manifestations of the Spirit. They're not looking to believe. They meaning the people in Nazareth. They're not looking to believe anything. They're not looking to expend any kind of uh, exercise of, of spiritual force on their end whatsoever. They want to sit back and see the show and then they'll make up their mind. Now, folks, stay with me. We're still talking about people that fail to receive their healing. That's exactly the reason why many people in the body of Christ fail to receive their healing. Because they want to sit back and watch the show. And then they'll decide. They want to pray. Or they want somebody to minister to them. Or they want some move of the spirit. And then after the show, the results come where their body is healed. Then they'll make up their mind about what they believe. They're looking for the results first, followed by faith if the results are what they want. That's what these guys are doing to a T. Now Jesus says something else, and it follows along exactly with what we're talking about, manifestations of the Spirit. Notice the example that he gives. Verse 24, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. He's identifying himself as a prophet. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months. When great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent. Save or except unto Sarepta a city of Sidon unto a woman that was a widow. Now stop and think about what he's saying. He's saying there were lots of widows in the country of Sidon. Now, Sidon is outside of Israel. Tyre and Sidon are twin cities. Tells us a little bit about Jesus' ministry there. He didn't do many great works there. 
Jesus very rarely did. Uh, in the four Gospels, we have very few accounts where Jesus went outside the boundaries of Israel and, and did many works, many miracles, and, and so forth. He traveled outside the boundaries, the geographical boundaries of Israel of that day, some of it for his own protection, some of it to get away from the Jews that were trying to perse- persecute him and so forth. For example, it tells us he went through Decapolis. Decapolis was a region. Decapolis means ten Roman cities. It was a region of ten cities, and he wouldn't do any miracles there. Those were some of the cities that he would lead people out of so that he didn't do anything there. Why? Because he was sent first and foremost primarily to the Jews. So here is Elijah who goes outside the the present day boundaries, present meaning Jesus day boundaries of Israel. And in the, the region or the territory of Sidon, he said there were many widows that were, that were afflicted by this famine. Well, a famine affects everybody. So there's a lot of widows that are in dire straits and doing without food and doing without water along with everybody else. But what he's saying is Elijah couldn't just turn it on and off the way he wanted to. He couldn't go to every widow's house and have a miracle. You remember the miracle that took place in Sarepta? Where the meal barrel didn't, didn't fail, the meal kept multiplying, and the cruise of oil kept multiplying for the entirety of the time that he was there? Well, if Elijah's a good guy, and we have to assume that he is, why wouldn't he want to do that for everybody? Well, it wouldn't matter if he wanted to do that for everybody. He didn't have the power in and of himself to do it. Why? Because it's a manifestation of the Spirit. And the Bible says that the Holy Ghost manifests himself according to his will, not according to ours. Which means if somebody is looking for healing through a manifestation of the Spirit, it's going to have to be something that God initiates, not according to what they want. Yet that's what so many people are waiting for. Well, I'm just going to, I just believe God's going to move. Well, good luck. I've seen a lot of other people that believe God was going to move and God didn't move. Now, some people hear that and they think that means God's against them. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Stay with me. God expects believers to believe. God doesn't expect believers to seek after manifestations of the Holy Ghost. He expects believers to believe. But so many people are just like the people of Nazareth. They're waiting for the show. And then they'll decide. Notice the next example he gives. Here's the, uh, the example of Elisha. Now you remember the story of Elisha. Elisha was Elijah's assistant. And he asked on the day that Elijah went to heaven, he asked for a double portion of the power that was on Elijah. Well, the Bible records that Elisha did twice as many, exactly twice as many miracles as the prophet of Israel as Elijah did. It tells us about a, a certain occurrence, a manifestation of the Holy Ghost that occurred in Elisha's day. Verse 27, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving or except Naaman the Syrian. Now you remember the story about Naaman. Naaman was uh, a Syrian general, and he had, uh, through his conquest and through many of the, the works that he did for the Assyrian army, He had a little slave girl, a little Jewish girl that was a slave girl in his house, operating in his house. Now, apparently, he was a good master to her because he contracted leprosy and she wanted to help him. And so she told him, she said, if we were only in Israel where the prophet Elisha is, then he could heal you of your leprosy. Well, Naaman, all the way over in Syria, a long distance away, is willing to travel across the earth if necessary to get rid of this sickness and disease as you could well imagine 
So he talks to the king. The king says, well, yeah, sure, go. So Naaman, being a general in the army of high estate and, and rank and so forth, he comes to Israel and goes to the king. You don't want to come into foreign territory and go straight to Elisha. You want to clear it through protocol, handle things well. And so he goes to the king and tells the king what is there. And the king rents it, tears his clothes and says, oh, this is a trick. You've come down here with an impossible request. And here's what the king thinks about Elisha. You've come down here with an impossible request. And when that request can't be fulfilled, Syria is going to use that as the excuse to invade Israel. See, people have always gotten along over in the Middle East. And so Elisha hears about it. And so he sends word and says, send him to me. Tells the king, he's not here to see you anyway. Send him over to me. Quit worrying about it. So Naaman and his company, great company. He's traveling first class, you know, private jets, private caravan, whatever. So he goes down to where Elisha is. And Elisha is presented with this great pomp and circumstance, this great ceremony of this big caravan of this important guy, the Syrian general. Well, Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He just sends word out there. He says, tell him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And he'll come again, he'll come again clean. His skin will be cleansed. Well, the Syrian army, the Syrian general, is not used to being treated like this. He's used to people receiving him with great ceremony. He's used to people treating him like he's the important guy that he is. And here's the prophet kind of blowing him off. Doesn't even come out. He doesn't even interrupt his TV show. He just says, well, tell him to go dip in the Jordan River. And finally, the people, including the little slave girl, try to calm Naaman down and say, now, Master, if he told you to do something hard, something that you think would fit a person of your stature, You'd do it, wouldn't you? That's, Naaman almost missed one of the greatest miracles that we have record of in the Bible. Because he, uh, he started to let his opinion about himself get in the way of receiving from God. So he said, yeah, well, I guess I would. He said, I don't like the Jordan River. It's a dirty river. Dipping in the river is what I should do. And then I should have stayed in Syria where the rivers are better. And they talked him into it. They said, well, just it can't hurt anything. Just do what he says. Well, he does. He dips in the Jordan River seven times, and the leprosy is cleansed from his body. Well, now Naaman the Syrian, this is a great important guy. He doesn't care what happened or how it happened. He's just so glad to have the results. Now, the point that Jesus is making is there were lots of lepers in Israel. Now, in this case, it's in Israel. There are lots of lepers in Israel. Why aren't all the lepers in Israel coming to, to Elisha? Why aren't all the lepers, why, why isn't there leper Tuesday? Where all the lepers come one day a week, whatever day it is, they come one day a week and Elisha tells them to go dip in the Jordan River. Because Elisha can't turn it on and off like that. And everybody knows that that's the way that it works. Unfortunately, the church world doesn't seem to know that. Now, the rest of the story about Naaman the Syrian is that when Naaman comes back to Elisha, clean, he's healed, he says, well, let me give you something for your trouble. I'm so happy to be healed. I brought great riches on the chance that you would uh, heal me in some manner. Didn't expect it to be like this. 
But I brought you a great reward. Well, Elisha won't take it. He says it's not a time to receive offerings. He wouldn't let Elisha, he wouldn't let Naaman pay for his healing. He wouldn't let him think that he earned it or purchased it in any way whatsoever. So he says, well, you won't take anything? He says, no, I don't want anything from you. So he says, well, okay, thanks a lot. So he goes his way. Well, Gehazi, who the Bible says is Elisha's servant, sees what's going on and he's thinking, man, Elisha really messed up. There's a lot of good stuff there that Naaman wanted to give him. So he waits till Naaman's caravan gets a little bit, you know, some ways or some distance away. And so he goes running after him. And when he goes running after him, Naaman is alerted to it. And he turns around and says, what is it? What's the matter? And Gehazi lies like a dog. He says, well, two young men have come to my master's house just right after you left. And even though my master wouldn't receive anything for himself, he said it'd be all right to take two changes of raiment or whatever amount he said for these guys. Well, Naaman is so happy that he's healed, he gives him twice as much as what he asked for. Raiment and gold and whatever else was involved. Gehazi takes it and go hides it for himself. And when Gehazi goes back to Elisha, Elisha asks him a question. He said, Gehazi, where have you been? And he says, nowhere, my master. And he said, my heart was joined to you or went with you when you joined yourself to Naaman's chariot. In other words, he's saying there was a manifestation of the spirit that occurred when you went to see Naaman to steal from him, to lie and steal. And I saw the whole thing. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would Gehazi risk this if that's the way it worked with Elisha all the time? Wouldn't he as his assistant, as Elisha's assistant, know that? See, a lot of times people think that when the manifestation of the Spirit works through somebody, they just know it all the time or that it works all the time and they can turn it on and off like a light switch, whatever it is. And that's not the way it works, folks. It's not the way it works. And Gehazi knew that. They knew, he knew that, Geha- that Elisha didn't know everything and he took a chance that he wouldn't find, about, find out about this, but he did. And so Naaman's leprosy clung to Gehazi for the rest of his life. That's the example that Jesus uses. The two examples Jesus uses are of manifestation of the Spirit in both cases that can't be turned on and off like he wants to, like the individual might want to. Why does he use those examples? Because he's telling them in Nazareth, I can't turn it on and off. It's not up to me. The Son of God operating as a prophet anointed of God, he's saying it's not up to me to turn it on and off. I can't do that. Well, if we can't turn off, turn on manifestation of the Spirit at our will, what are we to do? We're to operate by faith. See, the other lepers in Israel, the reason they're not going to Elisha for their healing is because they've got a covenant of healing with God. And all they have to do is stand on that covenant of healing. Exodus 15 says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. He said in other places, chapter 23, verse 25, I believe it is, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. And the number of your days I will fulfill. He's given Israel a healing covenant. And anybody that would stand on that healing covenant, believing that that promise that God has made to them is true, could get the same results Maybe not in the same time. Maybe not in the same manner. But he can get the same results of healing as if the Holy Ghost manifested himself. 
Turn with me over to Isaiah 53. Brother Hagin told, uh, when he was teaching about this, um, I got him talking about it a lot over a course of a couple of days. And then he felt impressed. He did so much uh, looking back over some of his ministry and so forth that he did a whole teaching uh, for, I don't know, a couple of weeks, I guess, in healing school about some of this stuff. And it was some of the richest stuff that I ever heard. And Brother Hagin told two stories. He said that we'll, uh, there was one meeting that he was in. It was a tent meeting, I believe it was, in 1951 in the state of Oklahoma. And he said there was a lady that, that came. Now, here's a crusade-type setting. Uh, although he was ministering differently in those days than in the days that I was with him, some 35 years later, uh, he said that um, uh, there was a, a lady that brought her uh, child to the the service, and he was carrying the child. And he said the the legs were deformed. The legs uh, the child had contracted polio when she was 18 months old, I believe it was. If I remember the story right, she was 18 months old, and she contracted polio and hadn't taken a step since. And so her legs just dangled and, and hung. Brother Hagin said it looked like a rag doll. And well, during that meeting, during that evening service, Brother Hagin said he laid hands on her. And the power of God came on her. She was healed. Her legs instantly filled out and grew to maturity, the maturing the maturity size, you know, the size that they should be for the age of the girl. She was about nine years old at that point, I guess. And she ran up and down the platform all around that tent. Everybody saw it. It was something that took everybody's attention wound up being the catalyst for a lot of people getting saved. But there was another meeting that he had, a church meeting in uh, the state of Texas, many years later. I don't know the the year of this one, but it was at least, well, it would have had to be 15 years later, I guess. So he was having a, a church meeting in Texas, and he said that, uh, that there was a lady came to him with uh, her daughter, and now only one leg, um, she would contracted polio too. And she could walk, but she had this brace on the one leg. And the one leg was, was shriveled and, you know, really uh, looked deformed and too small and that kind of stuff. But with that brace, she could kind of hobble along a little bit. And uh, Brother Hagin said there was a, a church meeting. There was no real manifestation of the Spirit in effect or uh, any tangible power of God. So, But the lady came and wanted her daughter to be prayed for. And so Brother Hagin just laid hands on her just very simply laid hands on her according to the word of God and uh, commanded her to be healed. And uh, there was no outward sign of power. She didn't feel anything. The little girl didn't feel anything. Nobody sensed anything. Brother Hagin said, I didn't, uh, didn't, couldn't feel anything. He said, but I had a spiritual sense. He said, so I told her, he said, now, ma'am, I don't expect you felt anything when I prayed for your daughter, did you? She said, no, I didn't feel anything. He said, I want you to know that according to the word of God, the healing power of God went into her. She said, did you feel it? He said, no, I'm just simply acting on the truth of the word. According to the word, these signs follow them that believe in my name, the name of Jesus. They lay hands on the sick and the sick shall be healed. He said, so I believe the healing power of God went into her. I didn't feel a thing. He asked the little girl, did you feel anything? She said, no, I didn't feel anything. He said, I'm saying this just on the authority of the word of God, just because we believe the word of God is true. Now, here's what I want you to do, he said. I want you to hold on to that. He said, it's such and such a time on such and such a date, whatever the date and time was. He said, I want you to remember and call to remembrance that at this day, on this date, at this time, the healing power of God was ministered to your little girl. Will you do that? She said, oh, yes, I'll do that. 
Well, later on that night, that very same night, she took her home after the meeting. And uh, she's going to get her ready for bed. And she's going to give her a bath just before she uh, puts her to bed. And so she takes this brace off. Now, this brace had some, something to do with the, the angle of her leg. When she took the brace off, the leg kind of swung out like it was outward from her hip a little bit. And the foot turned in an abnormal way. And so the mother gave testimony later on that when she took that brace off to put her in the bathtub, her leg went out and her foot turned the way that it had and always had. And, and uh, so she, she kind of had to work her to get her into the tub and, and get her situated. And when she did, she began to cry. Mom began to cry over the little girl. She says, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. She said, I, I just wanted my daughter to be healed tonight. And she said, as soon as she said those words, she said them out loud. As soon as she said those words, she remembered what Brother Hagin said. She said, hey, Brother Hagin had told her, I want you to call to remembrance that according to the word of God, the healing power of God went into your daughter to heal her from this condition. She said, my faith was quickened just by hearing those words within herself, by hearing those words again that Brother Hagin had spoken. And she thought to herself and then said out loud, she said, yeah, that's right. Brother Hagin said, according to the word of God, the healing power of God went into my little girl. The reason the healing power went into her is to heal her. She said, all of a sudden, she's kind of meditating and thinking on those things, not really looking at anything. All of a sudden, she said, I heard something like dry twigs popping. She said, I looked down, and my daughter's leg and foot straightened out in a normal manner, and her leg filled out just as full and just as the same size as the other leg. Next day, she went to the meeting back at the same church with a little girl walking. Same results, same healing from polio, two entirely different methods. One by manifestation of the Holy Ghost, the other by faith. Which one was a better miracle? Could you compare them? Could you differentiate one from the other except for the purpose of of showing the different methods and manners in which God did a miracle work of healing? I don't believe you can. That's why the Bible says that believers are to believe. Did you find Isaiah 53 yet? Well, if not, look on with your neighbor. Verse 1, who hath believed our report? Notice the first thing that, this, that everybody agrees. And chapter 53 is the, the, uh, the messianic chapter. It's the chapter of redemption. It's telling about what the Messiah will do when he offers himself as a sacrifice. First thing that, that the chapter talks about is believing. Lord, who has believed our report? Why? Because the power that was affected and accomplished in Jesus, the purchase that Jesus made through the shedding of his own blood will do you no good unless you believe it. And God wants it to do you some good. Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Notice the connection between those two things. The arm of the Lord, which always signifies the power of God, is available to and only to those who believe the report. Believing the report is the same thing as saying believe in the word. Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The ones that believe for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and, out of a, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. Where, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, it wasn't Jesus' physical appearance that did the job. It was from the inside. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. Sorrows and griefs are translated. They're literally the words pains and sickness. 
and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, everybody say surely. Now, of all the things the Bible says Jesus does regarding the, the penalty and the payment of his blood for sin and, and so forth to counteract the effects of spiritual death, this is the only surely in the chapter. It's almost like the Holy Ghost knew that this would be a point of controversy. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That has to do with sins, both Adam's sin and your personal sins. The chastisement of our peace, that word is translated, it's the word shalom. Hebrew word shalom is translated prosperity in other places. The chastisement or punishment for our prosperity was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Notice down in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Literally in the Hebrew, it says he, has made, he God, has made him, Jesus, sick. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus had cancer when he was hanging on the cross. It means he paid the price for cancer. It means the punishment of cancer was laid upon him. Jesus didn't have tuberculosis. He didn't have leprosy. He didn't have skin disease. He didn't have any of the other things that, that you and I might know of as diseases, both now and then. But Jesus paid the price the punishment for all of those diseases and every disease known and unknown to mankind was laid upon Jesus. That's why the Bible says God made him sick. Now, made means to become. He became sickness. Why? Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, he said, no man takes my life from me, but I can lay it down. And if I can lay it down, I can take it back up again. That was true up until the time when Jesus went to the cross. At the point where Jesus decided to lay down his life, that was the point where he became, started to become. And I believe it was a process. I don't believe it was in one instant or a moment in time. It was certainly accomplished in one moment in time. But I believe it was a process. I believe the reason Jesus is sweating drops of blood in in, uh, great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross is because it's when he's laying his life down and becoming the sacrifice for mankind. See, in order for Jesus to be truly the, the substitutionary sacrifice for you, he had to become the sin nature that you and I were. He had to die spiritually. The reason man is spiritually dead, the reason the Bible says that we are dead in trespasses and sins and uh, iniquities and sins, talking about before we were born again, the reason we were dead is because Adam's death, spiritual death, passed down upon all mankind. Well, if Jesus is going to be your substitute, he's got to become that in your place. Jesus can't die as a righteous man. He has to die as sin, a spiritually dead man. Now, the spiritual death that was laid upon Jesus that he became was not anything of his own doing. Otherwise, he would not have been a worthy and a holy sacrifice for you. It wasn't because of his own sin. He had none. But it was because God had to make the substitute Your spiritual death had to be taken on by Jesus so that his righteousness could be taken on by you. So when in in verse 10 where it says he has made him sick, it literally means that when Jesus was made a partaker of spiritual death, I know people, some people have trouble with this saying the way we say it this way, but it's accurate. It's literally true, completely accurate. When Jesus died spiritually, 
Sickness was a part of that. And the Bible identifies that specifically. God has made him sick. Now, if you'll notice verse 5, the same blood that he shed for sins, he shed for sickness. Same work on the cross. Not a separate work. Not an additional work. Same work. Why? Because sickness, poverty, and sins are all part of spiritual death. They're all byproducts of spiritual death. There was no sickness in the earth before Adam transgressed and disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. There was no poverty in the earth before spiritual death became Adam's nature. There was no sin before spiritual death became Adam's nature. So when Jesus was made the substitute for spiritual death, when he died spiritually, he took all those things upon him at the same time. And if that's not true, folks, you need to understand this. If Jesus did not die spiritually, somebody still has to pay the price for your spiritual death. Jesus had to die the death you would have died or else he can't be a legitimate sacrifice. And sickness was part of that death. Poverty was part of that death. God has made him sick. Now, I want you to understand something about this, and this is the whole crux of the issue. I've gone way over time, so forgive me, but it's important that you understand this. Healing is not something you obtain any more than remission of sins is something you attain. It's already yours. It's a purchased possession. So many people are trying to get healed. Healing's already yours. And that's what it takes to believe. That's what's necessary for you and I to believe. So many times people are looking for something to happen to cause healing to be mine. Something already happened to cause healing to be yours. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. So Jesus, the one who came to the earth, operated here on the earth as a prophet anointed of God, speaking to mankind saying, I'm sent from God, I have the words of God, and I'm anointed of God, accomplished all of those things through his substitutionary work on the cross. He purchased redemption, remission of sins. He purchased healing. He purchased financial well-being, prosperity, well-being in every area, not just finances, but it includes that as well. Those things are already your possession. You don't have to try to obtain those things that belong to you already. So what are we to do? What we're to do is operate with the faith of Abraham. Romans chapter 4 tells us the faith that receives from God is very simply this. Abraham had no natural circumstance to hope in, but he believed in hope. What hope? According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not the circumstances of his body when he was 100 years old, neither yet the circumstances of Sarah's body when she was 90. But looking under the promise of God, he was strong in faith. He wavered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, folks, what you need to understand, here's the understanding part of healing and to walk in healing and health is very simply this. The Bible says whom the Son has set free is free indeed. That means free in every area. 
That means no matter if sickness is attacking your body, no matter if sickness is present in your flesh, according to the word of God, you decide whether you're going to believe it or not. But according to the word of God, you have been set free from sickness. You have already been set free. Healing is your possession. Healing was purchased for all eternity by the blood of Jesus. It simply takes believing that. Now, how long is it going to take for the believing that to change the physical circumstance of your body? I don't know. Does it matter? Yeah, but I want it to be quick, Pastor Mike. Well, okay, I can relate to that. But what if it's not quick? It's not any less true. And if it's true, aren't you going to believe it forever anyway? Somebody was complaining to me, I've been standing in faith so long, Pastor Mike. I've just been believing God for so long. And it came out of my mouth. I really didn't think about saying it. But it came out of my mouth. And I said, well, you've got to do something. Why don't you just believe? And she batted her eyes at me and said, what? What did you say? I said, well, you're going to do something anyway. Why not use your time to believe? And then I asked her a little bit further. Then I, I caught hold of it myself. I said, if you already had your answer, what would you do tomorrow? She said, well, I'd be believing God for something else. And I said, what's the difference? Believing God's believing God, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm going to believe God for every day that I spend on this earth. What does it matter if I spend another day believing for my healing? What does it matter if I spend another year believing for my healing? No matter how long it takes, whether it's quick, whether it's long, no matter how long it takes, it's an eternal truth that Jesus purchased healing for me. Therefore, it's mine. It belongs to me. I'm going to believe that forever whether I've got any physical circumstances going on in my body or not. Aren't you? You better. It's truth. And the truth never changes. Let's all stand. I want to lead you in a confession. You ready? Say this after me. According to the word of God, Jesus purchased my healing with his own blood. Therefore, I choose to believe that healing is mine now. Jesus said that if I believe I receive my healing when I pray, that I would have my healing. Thank you, Father, that healing is eternally purchased for me. Thank you, Father, that no matter the circumstances, no matter what I feel, no matter what I see, the Word of God is true that says that healing belongs to me now. Thank you, Father, for making it a physical reality in my flesh. Now lift your other hands up and, raise, and praise the Lord for the, for the truth of the Word. Oh, thank you, Father. It's so good to be healed. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your Word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that Jesus has purchased for all of eternity the healing that we believe in. It's so good to be healed, Lord. No matter what we see, no matter what we feel in our flesh, thank you that your word is true forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never fail. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.